This podcast contains spoilers, might contain explicit language, and is not made for anyone under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film, and today... We are taking a look at Frankenstein versus Baragon, or also known as Frankenstein Con- blah. Frankenstein conquers the world. Even though he's not trying to conquer the world in this movie, I don't know why. I don't know why the international or the English dub titles that uh, anyway, and also yeah, Japanese title. It's Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Tai Baragon. Yeah, pretty much the same as Frankenstein versus Baragon. But anyway, the movie is directed by Ishiro Honda and is written by with the written by Takeshi Kimura for the screenplay. Uh, also credited is John. Meredith Lucas for the story of Frankenstein Tai Gasunigan and story is also credited to Ruben Berkovich. I think I said that right. Berkovich. Uh, let me know if I said that horribly. But yeah, this movie came out in 1965 and is the introduction of Baragon, but before I get into that, let me break it down to you how a John versus film works. I give you a little brief synopsis that I wrote, then I talk about five things I like, five things I dislike, and then I wrap it all up with my overall thoughts. So, without further ado, let's get into it. In World War II, the Japanese Imperial Army received the heart of Frankenstein. Unfortunately, it was in Hiroshima during the atomic bombing. I don't know why I said it like that. Anyways, years later, an unusual boy is discovered and is taken in by the scientists. The boy turns out to be Frankenstein and grows giant. Also, there's a monster named Baragon that decides to frame him for killing people. And there's more to it, but I didn't feel like writing all that. So yeah, this movie's mostly about Frankenstein, uh, with Baragon showing up and, f- and did to fight. But anyway, let's break down to the things I like. First of all, I love the opening sequence, uh, especially how it ends. As well as it, how it set uh, sets up the theme for uh for the movie. Um. So the opening actually takes place during World War II and it shows like we start in Nazi Germany. So uh YouTube by the way, just because I said the Nazi word does not mean I'm supporting Nazis. This is like a historical thing from the movie. So chill, chill algorithm. But it's not like the podcast do well anyways on YouTube. Anyways, uh or in World War II Germany, a uh, Nazi scientist is working on the heart of Frankenstein. But then 
pretty much Nazi soldiers, they come in and they're like, nah, give us the heart right now. And the scientist throws a fit. Uh, the Nazis, they take uh, the heart via submarine and they go all the way up to meet him. So the Japanese Imperial Army, but there's to transfer the heart so Japanese soldiers can take it all the way back to Japan so they can experiment experiment on the heart to make super soldiers that cannot die from bullet wounds. Which is pretty messed up. But yeah, and as soon as they are about to experiment on the heart of Frankenstein, it is revealed that's in Hiroshima, 1945, when the atomic bomb... I love how it ends with that shot of the cloud and then the date. Just saying, like, yeah, this is the time. And that ending right there really does set the theme of the movie where it deals with uh, victims of the atomic bombs. Uh, I actually have done some re reading on Hiroshima... Not for this movie, but just in my own fast time. I still need to finish the book. It's called Hiroshima. It's it's I believe it's uh the author's name is John Hershey. Uh let me check real quick. Do, 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 do. Yeah, John Hersey. Uh, it's a really good book because it's uh it's a very hard read as well. And I, I again I still need to finish it. Um, I get the recaps of people, but what the author does, he takes six people who survived the atomic bomb and tells their stories. Uh, and that's how, and the book goes through uh, how, like, what it was like to go through that horrific experience. And it's like a varied group of people. And it's just the stuff they see. But the section I want to focus on from the book is uh, it's the part, it's the chapter that I haven't finished and I need to get to finishing sometime soon. But it is uh, in the latest edition, it was like back in the 80s, the author came back to Japan and tried to get back in touch with the people he interviewed, you know, about the bombs and talk about their life since uh, Hiroshima. Uh, some, like, I know one of them unfortunately passed away before, you know, the author could, you know, get back in touch. But I do know that from reading it, uh, one of the people on their, you know, that was like interviewed the, like a mother of children who survived the bomb. You know, she was hit with radiation sickness. And the book the, talks about how people who were affected by the radiation of the bombs uh, were treated as a different class of people, essentially. Or like they, they gave them a nickname and it actually really stigmatized them. They were as companies did not want to hire them because, you know, they kept getting sick. And there was a real stigma of being a survivor of the atomic bomb. And what this movie does is it puts Frankenstein as sort of like 
the symbol of all those who survived the atomic bomb but are still dealing with the consequences. And the movie actually, after the opening scene, it goes into our main characters. They're treating the sick girl who, you know, she was just a baby when, you know, the bombings hit and she was affected by radiation, but unfortunately she passes away in the movie. Uh, And so what I'm trying to get is that for the theme, it's this is about those who survived the bomb but are still affected by the consequences of the radiation, who still have to deal with the stigma of actually surviving the bomb and being left uh, disabled or abandoned, you know, because there's a lot of orphans that the bombs create. So I, I really appreciate what this movie does for those victims. It gives the victims uh, those voices and Maybe I shouldn't be talking too much about this as I'm not some I'm not Japanese. I obviously didn't grow up during the time, but for me from you know, looking back in hindsight, I do feel that at least what Honda was attempting to do was trying to give those people a voice through uh the monster, which is different than say Godzilla where Godzilla represented the bat you know, the atomic bombing or Frankenstein, you know, represented the victims, you know, because, you know, Frankenstein is treated in a sympathetic light. And I guess I'm going to get into my next point is the dark tone of the movie and the tragic nature of Frankenstein, because, you know, like I've been discussing, Frankenstein is very much tragic. While, of course, he is prone to his violent tendencies, he, he doesn't do much to try to hurt people at least purposely, like, sure, he threw a TV out the window because it scared him, but he doesn't purposely kill people in this movie. Uh, Like, he only reacts to, like, the lights from the camera crew that cause him to accidentally kill people. Uh, But he pretty much wanted to be, you know, you know, he actually does care for a man. You know, it's like... It go if we go back to the Ishiro Honda quote. Let me try to pull it up real quick. Uh, da, 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 Ishiro Honda quote. It's, it's okay. There we go. Uh, monsters are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. And I feel Frankenstein in this movie, and you know very much emphasizes that because it seems nobody wants Frankenstein alive because of, you know, he is too big. He is very strong. You know, he can do a lot of damage. He is unpredictable. But at the same time, he's still, by all means, human. And that might be the scariest part is Frankenstein is human and how we treat Frankenstein uh, and the movie goes, you know, keeps talking about, you know, Frankenstein, you know, is he, you know, like how he's treated and how the scientists, like the, you know, some of the main cast, you know, really try to, you know, help save Frankenstein's life because they know it's like, no, he's innocent. Uh, it's, it's really good stuff. Uh, 
but uh, they're the dark tone of the movie as well because this movie actually can be a bit of a horror, like really get into horror. It's uh, like you know, with the moving hand, people dying, the heart, like it, it can be a little graphic at times, and so it, it's a it's really nice to see you know such a dark tone for a '60s Toho Kaiju flick. Uh, and the one scene that I really think emphasizes the tragic nature of Frankenstein is in the end, Frankenstein ends up, you know, like during the Battle of Baragon, he notices one of the main cast of scientists uh, who's, you know, stuck there. And he goes, Frankenstein goes out of his way to save the scientists and bring him back to the other main characters. But the thing is, the scientist that he saved was the one of the main cast that actually wanted him dead and only valued him as a scientific discovery than a human. I mean, at first, when Frankenstein was a boy, uh, that scientist was like, no, he's human. But as soon as he starts to grow giant and stuff, he, you know, he doesn't really view him as human anymore. He's scared of him and he wants to use him as like uh you know he values him for the science but he doesn't see him as human but i think it's also very poetic then that he's the one that gets saved by frankenstein where it's just like you're the least deserving out of the main cast but it also shows you know hey maybe a change of heart you know by the end but uh, I, I will say I like that character the most out of this movie. Just the, you know, because it's not, he's not black and white. He's not a black and white villain where I only view him as a scientific, you know, because there's a scene where in order to prove that he's Frankenstein, they were told that, well, in order to do that, you have to either cut a hand or a leg. And if it grows back, he's Frankenstein. And the female scientist, she's like, hey, uh, no, that's inhumane. And Nick Adams cared. By the way, I should say their names. Uh, the scientist I'm talking about is uh, Dr. Yuzo Kawaji, who's played by Tadao Takashima. Uh, the female scientist is played by Kumi, Mizu Kumi Mizuno. Mizuno. Kumi Mizuno. And she plays Dr. Sueko Togami. And Nick Adams plays Dr. James Bowen, who's sort of like kind of the leader, like the head scientist of the three casts. But anyway, uh, even though Dr. Togami and Dr. Dr. Bowen are both like, you know, that that's pretty inhumane. Kawaji is the one that was going to attempt it, but he... In order for him to, you know, even attempt it, he had to, like, drink some alcohol and convince himself that what he's doing is right. And it makes his character much more interesting for that fact. But, yeah, it's, uh, movie can get dark. Uh, next, the second to last thing that I like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot... Uh, I should have mentioned this. Uh, the third thing I like, I skipped it completely <laughs> on accident. Anyway, the third thing I like is 
the slower pace of the movie actually aids the movie because it builds up the suspense and mystery around Frankenstein. Because even though we, you know, we're pretty certain that Frankenstein won't kill humans, we are never one hundred percent sure. You know, because Frankenstein tends to lash out violently to stuff that scares him. You know, like the TV or the camera lights. It's like it it scares him, you know? So we we don't know what he's going to do. Uh so the and again, like that slower pace it builds up to the climactic end where Frankenstein battles Paragon. But it's just that slow, like we see Frankenstein growing and just you know, like the situation getting worse and worse and more unpredictable. It's I think the slower pace adds to this movie. Now, second to last thing is if we could base theme for Frankenstein. Uh I'm gonna be talking about a lot of Toho movies, spoiler alert going forward. So Akira Ifukube yeah, Ifukube He's going to be a name that pops up a lot, lot, but I want to try to not use him as like a free like, you know, because the Fukubei's music is amazing. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to be saying his praises throughout a lot of movies I talk about, the ones he's in. But I really want to focus on the theme of Frankenstein because he plays a little, you know, piano. It's dude, I no, I'm doing Halloween. I can't I can't think of the melody of it right now. But what I'm trying to get is uh there's an eerie there's sort of an eeriness to Ifukube's theme for Frankenstein with that piano. It's really good. It's also one of the more unique pieces of Ifukube's kaiju catalog, so to speak. And finally, I gotta talk about the effects, and that's gotta be that's another thing that I don't want to crutch myself too much when I talk about the classic Toho movies because they were done by the master Eiji Tsubaya. You know, he was a craftsman and a genius, <laughs> you know, of his time. But uh, I'm gonna go over some of the highlights of the effects here. I really like the miniature sets; they are different than the you know previous Toho movies because the you know the houses the buildings they're much bigger because the creatures are smaller in this movie compared that to say a Godzilla movie where Godzilla's towering towering over the buildings but here the like houses are generally more bigger and so it allows it allows for more detail uh the Baragon scenes they're always cool especially the underground He's digging. Uh, I really love Frankenstein's escape through, you know, as he's dodging, weaving through the buildings. And again, the buildings are actually towering over Frankenstein in this case. I really like the hand, you know, the hand that can move on its own. That was a really cool effect. And finally, I like the final fight. You know, obviously, I think there's a lot of, you know, like uh, effort in that final fight, especially with the fire. You know, you have to be careful with fire 
burning around them. It was really cool stuff. But of course, no movie is perfect, and we have to go talk about the dislikes and criticism. First things first, uh, this movie uh, was made in the 60s, so there's some things that are obviously dated, and I think there there was a quite a bit of a dated sexist moment in this movie where, or at least, you know, they treat uh, uh, Suiko Togami, you know, she, her as, you know, sort of the damsel in distress. You know, there's a scene where, you know, Nick Adams, like, character, he goes, okay, I gotta go, you know, try to resolve this. And she's like, no, let me go with you. And the guy's like, no, it's too dangerous. You have to stay here. And she stays there. And it's it's just a, oh, she's a woman. She can't do it. It's, it's dated. It's, it doesn't, it makes the, that part of the movie age poorly. And it's sort of a shame as it's different than, say, for, it's, it's actually like kind of different for Honda as a filmmaker, because if you look at his uh, earlier movies with uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla and the original Godzilla, those two come up in mind, you know, while, you know, they are, you know, the female characters aren't, like, the main protagonists, they aren't necessarily damsels in distress. Like, uh, Emiko in the first movie, you know, she's the one that saved humanity because she you know, broke the status quo. And then uh, the photographer, I forgot her name, my apologies, but the photographer in Mothra vs. Godzilla, she was one that was, like, pushing back against, you know, the stereotype, you know, like the tropes, you know. It's like, I, I'm not just a girl, you know, chill out, you know. Even though, you know, there was, she had a lot of feminine moments, she wasn't just the damsel in distress. She was the one that was actually in scan line. In fact, uh, she was the one that was like really convincing the people of Infant Island to change, you know, like, no, please help me. You know, it's like, we understand that we did you wrong, but don't turn your back on, you know, your fellow humans. You know, uh, she was, I like, she was like the standout in Mothra vs. Godzilla. And so you, you look at these past movies and then you look at Frankenstein versus Baragon and War of the Gargantras and it it's so weird. It's like, it's the typical female sidekick damsel in distress and it's like, what happened here? This is not like you, Honda. The heck? You know, uh, it's like, I don't know. And yes, I will be talking about War of the Gargantra. Spoiler alert. Anyway, the next dislike is I think the movie had a little, you know, lack of focus and irregular buildup for Baragon and was a bit too focused on Fair, uh, Frankenstein's plot. Because even though there's a moment uh, within the first 20, half an hour of the movie where they actually teased Baragon, he doesn't really show up in any feature other, you know, until like half an hour, 40 minutes later. And that, it's just like, you know, Baragon's pot, you know, gets like, he gets teased and then he gets ignored and then he's brought back for the final act. And it's like, 
It, it was a bit irregular, and I think Baragon, for a movie that is called Frankenstein versus Baragon, I think they could have put a just a tad bit more focus onto Baragon and build him up a bit better. A uh, third thing I dislike is we never learned who was Frankenstein's tailor after he grew giant. I mean, you know, when you look at his clothes, you know, obviously clothes can't really grow with humans yet. He's he's pretty big when he was attacking the ship or he bumped into the ship and he was still wearing, you know, clothes. Uh like a bun up shirt, you know, and some shorts. They were ripped, you know, and the shirt was unbuttoned, but still we never find out who this tailor, but we do know that Frankenstein, by the end of the movie, started to do his own clothes with, you know, he got that caveman look going on. I think that was very fashionable of him, and I think it was good on him. I He fired his tailor. Uh, I, I genuinely think his tailor was not doing Frankenstein any favors with that tattered, button-up-and-shorts look. It, it just didn't fit the, you know, fit his style. I, I think Frankenstein was right to fire him by the end of the movie. Uh, second to last point is I didn't think there was that much build up to Baragon and Frankenstein's clash I it's just like even though yeah Baragon attacking people it set up the you know like ooh you know the humans think Frankenstein's eating people and stuff like that but it, it goes back to the regular build up for Baragon because it's like final act where the movie's like, oh crap, we gotta talk about Baragon. Shit. Uh, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, alright, focus on Baragon right now. Uh, but even then, it's just like the clash between Baragon and Frankenstein, it, it sort of just feels that it happened. Like, it's like, oh, we're there in the same facility fight. You know, there was no pre clash between the two of them. Uh, and also, I think. Part of it is, you know, just the movie didn't balance the two characters well enough. Now there was there wasn't like a prior clash before the final fight, so I don't know. That's just a personal nitpick of mine. And then finally, both endings. So for those of you don't who do not know, this movie has two endings. One for the international version provided by you know the Tokyo Shock. DVD and the theatrical cut and I did you know go through both endings uh and by the way I really do want to say even though I didn't like it I appreciate Tokyo Shock of putting it into the movie and preserving you know that media so uh let's go with the international dub so for the international version it's pretty much you know, Frankenstein he beats Baragon Forest on fire, okay. And then a giant octopus shows up and drags Frankenstein into the ocean. The end. Yeah, the, it's just... So the history is that American producers are like, ooh, put the giant octopus in. People love the giant octopus from King Kong vs. Godzilla. And this was a co-production between UPA and Toho, and Toho had to be like, okay. But at the end of the day, UPA didn't even use it for the English stuff because... They were right in saying, that kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a giant octopus shows up, grabs Frankenstein into the ocean. The end. 
And I want to say the theatrical version was better, but it, it doesn't, it sort of has the same problem, but it's different. Okay, so Frankenstein, he beats Baragon and forces on fire and Clown collapses. Frankenstein might be dead. The end. Yeah, it's just like that. Oh, something happened. Frankenstein's gone. Bye-bye. The end. It's just uh, that that wasn't an ending, guys. Did you leave it at home? Did you leave the ending at home? Frank, was it you? Make sure you bring the ending for next movie. You know, if you don't, you're fired. Uh, but yeah, seriously. Next movie, better have an ending. Alright? Better have one. So yeah, anyway. Those are my dislikes. So let's end this all up with my overall thoughts. Overall, really enjoyed this movie. Loved the tragic nature of Frankenstein and how the film uses the character as a symbol for those who were still affected by the atomic bombings. Even though I would have liked to see more of Baragon, I do appreciate what this movie had to say. And that's about it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean.com, and Podcast Addict. And uh, I'm also it's also available on YouTube, which I don't know why I still do it if the numbers aren't doing well. But anyway, it's on YouTube Saturday mornings. 8 a.m. Uh, press the subscribe button for my YouTube channel. I got more content on Wednesdays, you know, and those are my more polished, edited videos. So, well, not polished, but they are edited to an extent. Some of them, some of them more than others. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel. Subscribe for that. Uh, press the like button if you like uh, Frankenstein. Dislike it if you, you know, I don't know, if you hate horror monsters. Uh, leave me a comment down below to tell me what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. And anyways, thank you so much for listening. Next week, I'll be taking a look at War of the Gargantras. And I hope you have a fantastic day. Take care.